0: Greetings from St Brides Church Fleet Street, here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're able to join us for this act of worship. St Brides is famous for its ministry to journalists, and behind me here you can see our journalists' commemorative altar. We are aware, as never before, of the dangers that those in the industry face when bringing us the news, so our journalists, and all who work in the media, are very much in our thoughts and prayers at this time. However, we are of course here for all of you, journalists and everyone else. Do please leave us a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always good to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to help support these services, uh, you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. But now may the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. Jesus said to the woman, Great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. A very warm welcome to our Choral Eucharist on this the 11th Sunday after Trinity. It's wonderful that you can join us for this service. We begin now with an opening prayer. Let us pray. We say together, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We stand for the glory. God, you declare your almighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant to us such a measure of your grace that we, running the way of your commandments, may receive your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord.
2: A reading from the letter to the romans i ask then has god rejected his people by no means i myself am an israelite a descendant of abraham a member of the tribe of benjamin god has not rejected his people whom he foreknew for the gifts and the call of god are irrevocable just as you were once disobedient to god but have now received mercy because of their disobedience So they have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all. O the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory for ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
3: the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach, and so passes on? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
0: In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier this year, I read the biography of a fascinating, unusual, and complex artist. Hannah Gluckstein, who insisted on being known throughout her life as Gluck, both personally and professionally, was born into a Jewish family in London in 1895. She was an astonishingly gifted and dedicated painter, but one of the really sad features of her artistic life was that she became locked in a running battle with manufacturers of art materials, which she complained were substandard and regarded as unacceptable, which meant that for years and years she effectively stopped work altogether. In short, Her obsession with the tools of her craft blocked her vocation as an artist, and so her creativity ceased. And the artistic world is doubtless a great deal poorer as a result. Now, although I don't doubt for a moment that artists need good materials, of course they do. There is a really important underlying issue here, which is true of many kinds of human life and human activity, not merely painting, which is how we retain an appropriate sense of balance. How do we keep our priorities in the right order? Because whatever our calling, we can all be at risk of allowing things to become distorted. It's as if we've lost sight of the actual destination of a particular journey we're making because we've become so distracted and irritated by the quality of the paving stones along the way. So we stopped traveling. And that kind of thing can certainly be seen in our religious life. Writing back in the 1590s, Richard Hooker, one of the great founding fathers of Anglican tradition and former master of the temple church just down the road from here, he observed very astutely that the Church is at one and the same time both divine and human. Yes, it is divine, it is an authentic vehicle for the love and grace of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it is also, inevitably, a human institution that will, as a result, be vulnerable to human failings, which, incidentally, is why the Church of England has never regarded itself as being the only true church, nor does it regard its leaders as infallible. Thank heavens. That's also why, when potential candidates for ministry are sent to me for interview, as happens from time to time, one of the things I look for is a person who loves the church enough, but not too much. By which I mean this you have to love the church enough to survive within it as one of its ordained representatives, because you've got to be able to deal with its failings and weaknesses. But conversely, if you love the church too much, you will risk losing sight of what the church is actually there for, because you will very easily become too bound up in its trappings and its trivia. Or, to switch back to our previous image, become more interested in the colour of the paving stones than the destination to which the path is leading. And Jesus was himself acutely aware of that kind of danger. He made it very clear that he wasn't in the business of dismantling the structures of his religious tradition. He says specifically that he's not come to do away with the law and the prophets. But at the same time, it's always very obvious that he reserves his toughest critique for the religious authorities of his day, authorities who are so committed to ensuring that the details of the Jewish law are all observed to the letter, that they've lost sight of what the law is actually there for in the first place. Hence his famous saying that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And more importantly still, When our observance of the external trappings of religion becomes an end in itself, we are at risk of deluding ourselves that our conduct is above reproach because we tick the boxes of ritual observance, when in fact in terms of our conduct and what's written in our hearts, we could not be further from the kingdom of God. A member of my extended family, who is now long deceased, was a very committed member of her church. She was there every Sunday. She also served on the parochial church council. So I was genuinely staggered to discover in conversation with her one day that she didn't actually believe in God. What? Why on earth did she go to church? Her answer, if anything, astonished me even more because it turned out that the reason she went to church was because she wanted to set an example of good conduct to everyone else in the village. In short, it was entirely to do with her status in the local community. It's interesting to reflect that I'm afraid she was also one of the more unpleasant human beings that I've ever had to deal with her actions amounting to cruelty on some occasions. Though, of course, she was highly adept at reinterpreting the things that she said and did to ensure that it was always everyone else who was at fault, seems to go with the territory. Very, very revealingly, this same person once let slip one day that she had a recurring nightmare in her sleep. She used to dream that she was the owner of a huge and impressive mansion and she was in her dream proudly trying to show a group of guests around it but to her mounting horror far from impressing her visitors each door that she opened revealed a room that was more dank and dark and desolate and abandoned than the last and the whole place was swathed in cobwebs of a scale worthy of Miss Havisham's stately home. Now, it may sound like COD psychology, but it seems pretty clear to me that her subconscious was actually bringing to light everything that she lived out in her life. Her obsession with show and with impressing other people. Although at some deep level, she feared that the opposite was the case because really, all that was there was darkness. And shame. She exercised a lot of power in her lifetime but these days I look back at her as someone who was basically very insecure and deluded and actually rather pathetic. Now all this ties in very directly with the first part of our gospel reading this morning. As usual Jesus and his disciples are in deep trouble with the Pharisees the guardians of religious observance, who policed the people to ensure that their religious practices were observed to the letter. On this particular occasion, the Pharisees are condemning them for not cleansing their hands before they eat, by which they mean ritual ablutions. They're not talking basic hygiene. This is all about ritual observance. And it is this that has Jesus pointing out, that the Pharisees really have lost sight of the point of it all, because the cleanliness that truly matters to God is not the observance of a ritual involving water, but the cleanliness within. Hence, as Jesus goes on to say, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. If those are the thoughts that are written in your heart, then it's pretty obvious that no amount of ritual hand-washing is going to make things okay with God, however much you might try to convince yourself that they do. And this same truth is also beautifully expressed by Jesus in the way in which he lived out his ministry because he routinely takes to his heart the very people whom the religious authorities of his day rejected and cast out as unclean, lepers, tax tax collectors, prostitutes, the very dregs of society. That is what is so beautiful and so challenging about the Christian gospel. It subverts everything, it exposes the way in which we try to delude ourselves that what we strive to present on the outside is a true reflection of what is going on inside, when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. Fascinating that so many of the individuals whom the Church now recognises as saints were the very people who during their lives were most acutely aware of their own failings, because that ability and readiness to look honestly at who and what we really are is the mark of a true disciple. The process of growing closer to God has far less to do with our achievements, with what we show on the outside, than with what is written in our hearts. And that involves the shedding of delusions, which can be very, very difficult. There's a remarkable prayer that dates back to the American Civil War, which adds another dimension to all of this, because it also opens our eyes to the the true nature of prayer in informing and shaping our life of discipleship and revealing what it is that we strive for and what perhaps we should be striving for. Many of you will be familiar with this prayer already, but it really does bear revisiting. It's sometimes referred to as the Confederate Soldier's Prayer, and it goes like this I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity, that I might do better things. I asked for riches, that I might be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God,
4: The response to the bidding, Lord, for the years, is we give you thanks. Lord of the morning, we come together following in the footsteps of those who have worshipped at St. Bride's throughout the centuries and where we now ask you to hear the prayers we offer. We pray for your church throughout the world and for our own Church of St. Bride, where all may come in times of happiness or sorrow and find it a place of healing, hope, and a warm welcome. We ask your blessing on King Charles and Queen Camilla. We pray for Alison, our rector, and Jeff and Steve, our associate priests, and for our family and friends who are separated from us. Watch over them and keep them safe. Lord, for the years, we give you thanks. Father of hope and love, hear our prayers for all who hold positions of responsibility and leadership during this uncertain time in our history. Guide them towards a time of peace and harmony to work for a better tomorrow. Our thoughts turn to the victims of conflicts in war-torn regions of our fractured world, those suffering as a result of recent devastating fires bring harmony where there is hostility, relief where there is suffering, and hope where there is despair. We pay tribute to the men and women, past and present, serving in our armed services to protect our freedom, and for all working in the local and international media, who at times risk their lives to bring us the news. Lord, for the years, we give you thanks. Hear our prayers for all who are unhappy or depressed, the homeless and all whose lives are shattered and broken and generally finding life difficult to cope with. Comfort them in their misery when each day seems long and arduous. We give thanks for the volunteers and care workers who provide shelter, food and comfort to all in need. Lord, for the years we give you thanks. Healing God be with all who are unwell or suffering. Give peace to the anxious, courage to the fearful, and rest to the weary. Lord for the years, we give you thanks. God of the spirits, we remember those we have loved who have reached the end of their earthly life and are now at rest in your eternal kingdom where the clouds of earth's sorrow are lifted. Their memory shines brightly as the stars that light up the darkest night, the lights that guide us in our daily lives, those we remember and cherish in our hearts. In the moment of quietness, we bring before you all who are in need of our prayers and those who have no one to pray for them. Lord, for the years, We give you thanks. Lord of the morning, we come to you in prayer to give thanks for the glory of your creation. This season of summer, the gentle breeze swept in by the incoming tide, long shadows at the end of a golden day. We pray for farmers and those who work to protect the environment. You have given us the seeds of faith, the fruits of the spirit. Let us always pray for what we have received. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Merciful Father,
0: accept accept these prayers prayers for for the the sake sake of of your Son, our Our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Will you please stand? Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and we share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Amen. made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of his kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your son, our Lord. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise and as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty renew us by your spirit inspire us with your love and unite us in the body of your son Jesus Christ our Lord through him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit with all who stand before you in earth and heaven we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Let us pray. Lord of all mercy, we, your faithful people, have celebrated that one true sacrifice which takes away our sins and brings pardon and peace. By our communion, keep us firm on the foundation of the gospel and preserve us from all sin. Uh